God bless you and thank you so much for coming today. It's wonderful to be back again with you, studying God's Word. We realize it's not always possible to go to a service somewhere and to fellowship with other people there, so we bring the service to you, wherever you are. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover and explore God's peace and His promises for your life. If you would, would you open in your Bibles to Matthew 15. That's where we're going to be today, verse 32. Just get your place in that. and We'll also put it up on the video for you, just so it'll make it easier for you to follow along, if that helps you. I'd like to talk to you today about everyday compassion. Here's what I mean by that. Compassion is mercy shown to someone else. And as someone who has received abundant mercy from God, you should always be ready to show mercy to others. That smile, those kind words, that act of caring is contagious. One smile can quickly turn into two smiles, and that act of kindness can likewise become a seed that brings forth other acts of selflessness as others see you and are inspired to also be kind. Now, when we think of the word compassion, we can't help but to reflect back on those times in life when we took the time to help somebody else in need. We smile when we remember those episodes, and inwardly it gives us a good feeling. We sense that we made a difference in someone's life because of the time when we simply cared for someone else, because of something we did to help them. That's because deep inside we know that showing compassion is just the right thing to do. We just instinctively know that it's something that God wants us to do, something that God is pleased with. But if we know that it's the right thing to do, and it makes us feel so good, then why don't we take the time to show compassion more often? In fact, why don't we make showing compassion a routine part of every day in our lives. Why don't we practice godly compassion as an everyday lifestyle? When people look at our lives, they should see our Heavenly Father's heart in the things that we do. Now that's important because we say that we belong to God if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We say that we're God's children. So our hearts should reflect that we're His by the things that we do. Now sure, life is busy and there's so many things that compete for our attention. But shouldn't, that, shouldn't there be a way to give that smile and that kindness to someone? Those things don't cost you anything at all. They're a part of who you are. Every day you should be able to give that free smile, that free kindness. Wouldn't it be refreshing to spread a little sunshine with you wherever you go? The reality, though, is that we're distracted by the things that we want for ourselves. We're preoccupied with the schedules we have for our own wants and our own needs. We're surrounded by a worldly culture that teaches people to think only about themselves. But we should never be so busy that we don't have time to show kindness to someone else in need. That's what this passage today is about. Let's look at Matthew 15, verse 32. It says that, Now Jesus called His disciples to Himself 
And he said, I have compassion on the multitude because they've now continued with me three days and they don't have anything to eat. And I don't want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Now here's the deal. Here's the background. Jesus went out and was teaching the people. The people heard of his reputation from all over the land of Israel and many of them had come great distances. Some of them had brought sick people with them because they heard that he had healed so many people and done so many miracles. They wanted to find out mostly though what this man was all about. They wanted to hear him speak on the kingdom of God. But as he went out there, he himself noticed that they might be hungry. No one said to him, hey, I'm hungry. Do you have any food for us? No one said that. It's not recorded that anyone even mentioned food there. Jesus himself looked out on the people and as he saw the people and they had spent all this time with him listening to him teach about the kingdom of God and how to get into the kingdom of God. That's what we're all concerned about, right? How to have everlasting life. How to know that you are going to heaven at the end of this life on earth and how to have God with you in this life on earth. That's what we're all concerned about. And these people had that curiosity and they went out to hear him teach. But as they spent so much time there listening to him teach, they lost track of the time. They didn't have enough food with them. Maybe they brought some at first, but they didn't realize that they were going to be staying there listening to Jesus for so long. But like it was, every time he spoke, the people just couldn't get enough of it. The people were listening to him, and they loved the way he taught. It said in one place in the Bible that he taught them with authority. He was sent by God. He taught them with the authority from God, the authority of God. He himself was God, is God. The Lord himself became flesh to die for our sins so that we might be saved and allowed to come into the kingdom of heaven, have everlasting life. He taught the people with authority. And the people said, I like the way he teaches. He teaches us as someone who knows what he's talking about and not like these other guys, these Pharisees and Sadducees, which seem to be just in it for themselves seem to be making up things, whatever you'd want to hear, that's what they want to speak, and so that you will think highly of them. Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus stayed anchored to the Word of God. That's the way we are. Our logo right here for the Shepherd's Light is anchored to the Word and led by the Holy Spirit. That's the way we should be. Never get rid of the Word of God. Always go deeper and deeper into it. I'll tell you something. Just like a seed needs water and sunshine to grow, so the believer needs the Word of God and prayer to grow. And if you get rid of either one of those, you're just going to wither away. But you need the Word. Jesus was teaching the Word. And as He was teaching the Word, when He came to the conclusion of all of His teaching, He looked out across the people. And He saw that they were hungry. He saw that they were about to now leave and go back to their homes, which were probably pretty far away. They were out in the middle of nowhere at that time. And so he makes the comment that they don't have anything to eat and that he doesn't want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. 
You know the story. After that, he takes five loaves and two fish and feeds 4,000 men, not counting the women and children. In fact, if you put the women and the children and the men together, there was probably between 10 and 12,000 people that ate that day out of the food that he made miraculously out of just five tiny loaves and two small fish. He knew what he was going to do. But notice that he came there to teach. And yet, he saw that there was going to be a problem with people that needed food so that they didn't faint along the way. And he was moved to compassion. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus does what he often did in his travel, spreading the good news like we said. He saw the people who were suffering and he had mercy on them. He took the time to help them. That's a key to remember. He took the time. He really didn't go to that place to feed those hungry people like we said. He went there to teach about the kingdom of God. But as he saw the people, he took the time to think about where they had come from. He considered how long they had been there, the journey they had made just to see him and to hear his words. And he knew that it would be a long walk back for them. And so he acted. And this is what we're saying today, that compassion is something that you notice to do, and you see a need, and then you act on it. The first thing, like we said, is he was moved with compassion for them. In other words, it was a spontaneous thing. He had other things to do, and no doubt those other things were important. He had other cities to go to, other people to proclaim the kingdom of God to. But when he saw the needs of this people, he listened to his heart. And he put everything else on hold, and he took the time to show compassion to those who were hurting. Did you hear that? He took the time to show compassion to the hurting. There's a lesson there for us. Another thing to note is that the help he gave them was unconditional. It didn't matter that they had sins in their lives or that they had made some bad choices in life. He wasn't requiring them to live up to his standards before he would help them. So many times today, though, we see someone in need and we quickly evaluate in our mind whether or not that person is worthy to receive our help. But honestly, none of us would like to be judged like that. After all, we're all sinners. Maybe that person who's asking for help has sinned in a different way than we have, but we're all sinners. In the end, sin is sin. A pride which tries to put your own righteousness above someone else's a particularly ugly sin. Now to Jesus, it would have been easy to condemn all those people under sin because He never sinned. And by the way, He knew what was in the heart of every person there. He's really the only one who could have pointed out all their shortcomings without being a hypocrite. But to Him, the people in need were human beings, made in the image of Almighty God. People who needed a touch of mercy, an unconditional touch of God's love. In other words, they needed a touch of God. When He looked at them, He saw the hearts. He knew all the ugliness and sin inside of each person there. But the needs He saw outweighed the judgment He could have given. 
Most people don't need to be reminded of their sins and failures in life. They know the bad decisions that they've made, the angry things that they've said, and the people that they've hurt. It's not that they don't remember. In fact, they're trying hard to forget. The shame and the guilt are hard to get rid of. The conscience keeps reminding people of their failures, their unworthiness, and their hopelessness. It's one thing when people shun you and shut you out. It's one thing when you're an outcast from society. But it's quite another thing when you feel that even God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. But when God sees darkness, He doesn't turn and walk away from it. No, He shines His light into the darkness. He's the God of restoration. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of healing and a God of mercy. He is love and He is light. He doesn't want His children to be walking around aimlessly in the darkness. No, He wants us to be children of light. We're His children. Showing undeserved compassion to someone else brings light into their darkness. It gives hope where there was no hope. And it shows that somebody cares for them. Unconditional love is the very heart of God's relationship with us, isn't it? Our salvation in His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He gave to whoever who would believe. He so loved the world, it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then what do we do in return when we see that love? It inspires us to love in return, right? That was the very plan of God, was to give such wonderful, unconditional love that we would want to know Him, that we would want to be His and be loved like that forever. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, We love Him because He first loved us. Now when you show love without first requiring someone to change before you do, it shows that person you aren't looking at who they are now, but rather you're looking at who they could become. What I'm saying is that you're investing in that person. You don't see who they could become right now, but you're certainly not looking at who they've been in the past. You're forgiving and you're giving them a new start. At first, when someone in need sees you, they try to look genuine. Have you noticed? They try to look honest. They tell you their story in the hope that you'll be moved to compassion. And don't they? They go out of their way to convince you that they're in the situation through no fault of their own. They're doing that because they're afraid you'll discover or imagine unrighteousness in them. And then, they'll worry, then they're worried that you will deem them unworthy of your help and then turn away and not help them. It's sad that people are like that when we look upon someone in need and we walk away because we feel like they're not doing enough to earn the things that they're asking us for. It's sad that people are like that and that we're judgmental on others. We're, we're glad to be forgiven by God, but we don't forgive other people in the same way that He forgave us. He forgave us unconditionally. And now we turn people down legalistically as if we expect them to keep the law, but we're glad that we were saved by grace. That's hypocrisy, and we shouldn't be that way, brother and sister. It's even worse when Christians are like that. 
because then people see our hypocrisy and they see that we're not using the same standard when, our, when we deal with other people as God used when He dealt with us. But when you help that person without judging them, their fear gives way to amazement. You're ignoring the things that might have, they might have done wrong and you smile and you help them anyway. In your compassion, they see that someone believes in them. Think about that. Here they are alone and they see that someone sees potential in them. And a seed of hope is planted in their heart. The thought hits them that maybe there's hope for me after all. Maybe someone else can believe in me and my life can turn around. Here's what the Bible teaches. When you show unconditional love, it inspires that person to love in return. Remember, we love God because He first loved us. Living a life of everyday compassion consists really of two parts. In our story in Matthew 15, as we read, there's two key things that we see Jesus doing. First, He sees the needs of the people, and then He acts to do something about those needs. This is a pattern that is presented throughout the Scriptures. First, God sees a need, and then He does something about that need. Another verse in Matthew 14, verse 14, shows the same principle, but with a different need. In Matthew 14, 14, Jesus saw a multitude of sick people. He went out there to teach, but He noticed that all these people had brought their sick people out to be healed of Him. Oh, change of plans. So what does He do? The verse says, And when Jesus went out, He saw that great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them, and He healed their sick. That's saying He healed all the sick, a multitude. We see the same principles, don't we? First, He saw the people. Then He noticed the need. Then He did something to show compassion and fix the problem. But some people, when they see a person in need, they immediately look the other way. They don't want to notice the need. They've convinced themselves that they don't have time to help or that they don't want to get involved. They've got too many things going on in life. So they close their heart. Then they close their eyes. It's like if they allow themselves to think about it for too long, if they allow themselves to notice the need, then it'll be too difficult to stop and then they'll have to spend some time helping that person in need. Other people notice the need, but then they close up their heart to help that person in need. But then later they feel bad about not having helped when they could have. Proverbs 3 verse 27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it's due, when it is in your power to act. Do you withhold the good just because of your own needs and things? God may bring a suffering person across your path from time to time, and when that happens, don't look away. Look for a way to help that person. Take the time to take the time and then allow yourself to be moved to action. That's the way it works. You see a need, you allow what you see to speak to your heart, and then compassion swells up inside the heart and it moves you to act. Remember this, love is something that you do. A fascinating verse in Hebrews 13 verse 2, 
also reminds us that it's even possible that you are unknowingly servingly serving heavenly guests. It says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. When you take the time to practice these things as you go through your daily routines and travels, you'll find a peace deep inside that you didn't have before. You'll also notice that God will bring you divine appointments and give you inside information about what's going on in that person's life. He does this because you have made yourself available as an instrument of His love. You've made yourself available as an instrument of His peace, and He will use you to heal the hurting and to bind up the broken heart. But now all needs are not about food or medical conditions. Some needs are deeper. In John chapter 4, for example, there's another situation in which Jesus' compassion is shown. But this example was not about that physical need. It was about the need of a heart, a heart that needed to be healed, healed from the guilt of sin, the filth and the darkness that steals a person's hope away. Physical illnesses can eventually heal. Eating a meal can take away hunger. But sin torments a person continually, stealing away joy, erasing hope, making a person feel worthless and hopeless. That's the situation Jesus saw in Samaria as he was passing through on his way to another place. Once again, he didn't go there for that particular uh, thing that happened there. He was on his way somewhere else. But along the way, he stopped at a well to get a drink of water. And a woman came to the well to draw water. But notice something. In John chapter 4, this woman came to the well to draw the water in the heat of the day. That means sometime around noon. The sun was overhead and most of the town people that she came from, most of that town's people come to get water not when it's hot. They come in the evening when it's cooler. They had to carry that big container all the way from the town to the well. And then when they fill it with water, it's really heavy now and they would have to carry it back into the town. So they would all come to the well at the same time in the cool of the day. And then that way they could help each other carry those heavy pots back and forth, just make a couple of trips to carry both of the pots instead of one trip with one person trying to carry the heavy pot. The sun would have gone down, it would be cooling the land off now, and it would be far easier on the people to come in the evening. But this woman Jesus saw didn't come when the other people of the town came to get water. That's because the other people in the town knew all about her. They didn't want anything to do with her. That woman was ashamed to be around the other women as well. That's because she was a terrible sinner in their eyes. The woman had four husbands earlier, and now she was on her fifth husband but she didn't even bother to get married to the man she was living with now. No, this was the woman that the rest of the town people talked about. She had a really bad reputation, and the other people had no desire to be around her. They kept their kids away from her. They all thought of her as bad news. They didn't want anything to do with her, so she came alone 
in the heat of the day to get the water that would keep her alive, the water that she needed for another day of life. She came alone to the well, even with the sun overhead beating down on her, carrying that container of water all by herself, knowing that no one else from the town would see her at noon because they were all coming in the evening. She wasn't sick. Her body wasn't broken. No, she had a broken heart. She was alone, ashamed. She was guilty as charged. There was nothing she could do about her situation. She just lived with the pain, the rejection, lived with the mistakes that she had made. That was just life, she thought. That's when Jesus saw her. Now, Jesus had compassion on her. But here's how it happened. He started talking with her like he always did. He would use any subject that they would talk about to turn it around and make it talk about the kingdom of God because that's the most important thing in life is the kingdom of God. This stuff down here is only temporary for a few years at best and then it disappears. Just like a cloud is there in the morning and then the heat of the day and it goes away and you don't see it anymore. Jesus had compassion on her. He asked her for a drink of water. She said, how is it that you, being a Jew, are asking of me, a Samaritan woman, for water because the Jews don't have any dealing with the Samaritans? What she was saying was, Jews don't talk to us because, really, they think that we're all sinners. What that, of course, means, if you read between the lines, is that means that the Jews think that they're righteous and we're not, so they don't talk to us. They don't start conversations with us. But here you are, a Jewish man, and you're asking me for a drink of water. How is that? Why would you be doing that? That's not the way things work around here. And Jesus said to her, If you had known who it was that was asking you for a drink of water, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. She says, I want to know about this living water. At first in her mind, she's going like, yeah, that'd be nice. I wouldn't have to come here every day, carry this big heavy container away and do all these things. And yeah, tell me about this living water. And he says, well, go get your husband. He wanted to tell her husband along with her. He knew what was going on. He knew her situation, but he brought this up and she says, oh, well, I don't have a husband. And then he says, not in a judging way, but he says in a very kind, matter-of-fact way, he says, you've spoken truly. You don't have a husband. You've had four husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. She goes like, whoa, you're a prophet, right? And then she starts talking about religion. Our forefathers tell us that we should worship in this art mountain here, but you Jews say that there's a place in Jerusalem to worship. You know, she's talking about religion. And he says, woman, I tell you, the time has come, and now is, that the true worshipers, the real worshipers of God, the real true God, the living God, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Not in this place or that place, but in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? It means that you're worshiping Him from your heart. You're not just going through the motions of something you've memorized. That doesn't hold any value before God. Would you want a child, if you had a child, a small child, 
to just come up and say, I love you 24 times because they thought that that's how many times they had to say it. And none of those times were they actually feeling that love for you. No, of course not. You'd want a child that would tell you once, look in your eyes and say, Daddy, I love you. That's the kind of child you'd want. That's the kind of love you'd want. God's no different. He wants real love. He wants worshipers that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Anyway, Jesus so impressed this woman that she went her way back into the town. And she was bold enough about what had happened. She thought she had something that would interest the other town people. So she told them the story about this man that had told her these things, all the things she had ever done. The town people were curious. They, they knew that this lady didn't come and talk to them just about anything, that this must have been real special for her to come to them because remember, they didn't have a good close relationship. They wanted to stay away from her and she wanted to stay away from them because of the shame and the guilt. But now they're listening to her. They figured that, well, something's going on here. Let's go out there and see what she's talking about. They came out. They talked to Jesus. Jesus talked to them, told them the things about the kingdom of God. And because of that, many people from the town came to know Him, came to know God and were saved. Now I want you to consider something. This was the very first time since He had come to earth that He said to someone that He is the Messiah, that He is the one. And He chose a lowly Samaritan woman, a woman whom the Jews wouldn't even give the time of day. He chose this Samaritan woman who was cast out. The others rejected. They didn't want to have anything to do with her. A sinner of sinners. All this guilt and shame and sin. He shouldn't even been talking to her, most people would think. And yet he used her to be the first one to tell that he is the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one of God. And because of her word of what he had said and done, many people in that town came to know God and know the kingdom of God and believe on Jesus Christ. Other people counted her as worthless, but Christ counted her as priceless. He would use her and do amazing things through her. You see, once again, Jesus saw the need and then he let the compassion move him to act. This time, not to heal a broken body, but this time to heal a broken heart, a broken life. Psalm 145 verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. In Luke chapter 10, we read about the Good Samaritan. You all know the story. And the question is asked by the person asking of Jesus. And he says, who is my neighbor? And it turns out that the one who took the time to notice the need, the one who allowed themselves to be moved to compassion, the one who took the time to act and to help, that was the one whom Jesus said was the neighbor. Then he told us how to be a neighbor. He said, to be a neighbor of those in need, 
after telling the story, he just said to the other person, you go and do likewise. In the book of John, Jesus said, I give you a new command. Love one another in the same way I loved you. You love one another as I loved you. This is how everyone will recognize that you're my disciples, when they see the love that you have for each other. I heard the story recently about how scientists did a study to find out what was the most fattening thing you could put into an ice cream sundae. If you've ever been to those Sunday bars, you see all of these things. You have M&Ms, you have nuts, you have almonds, you have all of these different things that you could put into a Sunday. And these scientists actually did a study to show what was the most fattening thing you could add to your Sunday and put in your Sunday. And at the end of looking at all the data, the results surprised even them. They came to the conclusion that the most fattening thing you could put in an ice cream sundae is a spoon. It's just common sense, isn't it? Just common sense. Well, in the same way, when Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you, whenever you see that other person in need, think about how you would want to be treated if you were in their situation. Then you'll just know exactly what it is that you should do for them. It's just common sense. Now remember, if you show compassion to others, God will also have compassion on you. He said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So when you pass by that person in need, when you see that hopelessness on that face, the sadness and the look in their eyes, don't just look the other way and walk on by. No, remember the unconditional compassion that God showed you and the mercy He gives you every day, even when you don't deserve it, even when you don't notice it. Remember the importance of mercy and live your life with everyday compassion. Amen. We want to give you an opportunity to believe on Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life like we've been talking about. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment, to pay the price for our sins. Just pray something like this. God, I want to know You and have real peace in life. I do believe on Your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to You. Thank You, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you, and He's already started working in your life on your behalf. Over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that He's making in your heart. A seed's been planted. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him in His Word, and talk to Him in prayer every day. He's going to do amazing things in your life. 